Father, we're living in um, we're living in in times that are disturbing and troubling. We we see um, we see all around us. We see the foundations being destroyed, and that um, it affects us. You can't ignore it. We see it on every front. If we're not careful, that uh, can rule us, that, uh, that concern, that uh, pessimism. But that's not how we're, we're supposed to live, because we have to remind ourselves of what is true. We are grateful that we come to you, our Father, through Jesus Christ, your Son. We thank you that... Christ is the only way to the throne of Almighty God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Uh, By the definition of Jesus himself, Christianity is narrow. Christianity is not wide. It is very constricted. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few are those who find it. We are thankful that we have found Christ, not because we were looking for him, but because he came after us. Jesus said to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and appointed you, that you might go forth and bear fruit, and that your fruit may remain. You have come after us. You have brought us uh, a conviction of sin. We realize that without Christ, we are lost. We trust in him alone as, the, as, as our Savior, as the one who died in our place. And not only does he save us from sin, but then he comes in and gives us a purpose because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God created beforehand that we might walk in them. So we have been saved from sin and from futility and from a wasted life. And then we begin the process of growth. We begin the process of maturity. And it is a, not a fast process. It is a slow process. But you're always working. And as we study the scriptures, we find out that you do not do things the way we would want you to do them. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. And for some of us, our frustrations as we sit here tonight, we're frustrated because you have not done things in our lives the way that we think you should do them. And so we're disappointed. I pray that you will help us, Lord, to understand that if you disappoint us, there is a very good reason behind it, even if we cannot see it. The older we get, the the longer we walk with you, the more we study the word, the more we find out that even in the disappointments you can be trusted, and there are gold nuggets to be found in the disappointments of life. We've all had them. We'll all have more coming our way. But help us to grow up and to remind ourselves
themselves, not to get angry, not to get bitter at you, but to trust you in the hard times, to trust you in the difficult times, that you know exactly what you're doing, that you have your eye upon us, that if you're withholding something, it's for a reason. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If there's something that we don't have right now, it's not best for us right now. Now, that doesn't come easy, but help us to embrace the fact and submit our lives to you tonight. We're all in process. We're all being developed. We have our good days. We have our off days. That's never true of you. We thank you that you're always there. You're always the same yesterday, today, and forever. We, uh, we have our swings. You never do. You can be trusted. And we trust you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're on the road to finishing up our study that uh, we're taking from 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. And uh, if you've been with us, you know by now there are four bullet points in there that Paul uses to wrap up. He's kind of coming in for the landing here. And uh, in 16, 13, he says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. We have been focusing on the one that says act like men. Uh, we've been hammering home the point that whenever an individual gets away from God, whenever uh, a tribe, as you would have in the Old Testament, uh, the tribes of Israel, whenever a culture, whenever a nation gets away from God, the further you get away from God, the more trouble you're going to find yourself in. The further you get away from God, the more irrational your thinking is going to become. Um, the further you get away from God, the less justice will be in your life. The further away that you get from God, the less wisdom. The further away from God, the less um, knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Um, Fourteen times in Proverbs it talks about the fear of the Lord. And the benefit of fearing the Lord, of being in awe of God, of living your life in light of the fact that God is there. And that he is alive, and that he is active, and that one day we will stand before him. Uh, there will be a judgment. If you're in Christ, you will be at a different judgment than those who are not in Christ. The scripture speaks of that. Um, because we have trusted in Christ alone, we will be at what is called the Bema Seat. And that will be, our judgment will be a judgment of rewards because we have been adopted into the family of God. It's not a judgment of whether or not you'll go to heaven. The, ju the great white throne judgment, the judgment uh, for unbelievers, is a judgment that uh, we've been delivered from because if you've entrusted in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ alone, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not a result of works that any man should boast. God's not into works. God's not into lighting candles. God's not into giving blood to the Red Cross and have that count as forgiveness of sin. The only one, there's only one Savior and it's Jesus Christ. 
So when we trust in Christ alone for what he has done for us on the cross, we are delivered from the wrath of God. And we are immediately placed in his family. A lot of us who have grown up in church, we think that we inherit eternal life when we die. You inherit eternal life the moment you trust in Christ. You inherit eternal life when you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And you possess eternal life now. It's kind of an amazing thing, isn't it? It's not that you might or might not have it. I was raised in a church where there was not, uh, if you were a believer, uh, you, you didn't have any security. That's why every time there was an altar call, I was down there. I mean, I was down there because I knew I was a sinner, but I hadn't been taught, didn't understand the grace of Almighty God. Um, so God has done much for us. Uh, more than we can imagine, more than we can express. But we, uh, we are growing and we are developing. What we see around us in our culture is, when our culture runs away from God, there are uh, terrible consequences. Uh, you look on every front. You, you, you look uh, financially, you look economically, when you violate God's principles. Uh, you're, when you become irrational... Uh, away from God, it's going to affect you financially, it's going to affect you in your family, it's going to affect, affect you in every way. One of the things we see in our culture is that be, because God's word now has been violated for so long in regard, to, in, re, in regard to basic social structure. You know, God invented the family. He invented it. Um, We shouldn't be surprised that the enemy would, would come after uh, the family with a full frontal assault. Uh, God invented marriage. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So when a man and woman become married, they become one flesh. Now know this, if you've been married for uh, 40 years or four months or 14 years, Know this, if you're married, you're following Christ, the two have become one, that's, God's, that's what God has done. What the enemy wants to do is that he wants the two have become one to become two again. He wants to split you up. He wants to divide you. Um, when, when families crumble, when a nation goes from a culture of marriage to a culture of divorce, which is what has happened to us, there are significant ramifications. Boys are raised without their fathers. Men are absent. Men leave. Uh, boys are primarily raised by women, and well, meaning women, but boys need men in their lives. And I mentioned this to you before, before the Industrial Revolution, what would happen. See, we're talking about acting like men. Well, how do you, how do you know how to act like a man? You've got to be around men when you're a young boy. Uh, up until the Industrial Revolution... A man and woman would get married. By the way, they'd stay married. You didn't have a divorce, historically. Divorce didn't happen, except when nations would start to crumble. So they would get married. It would be permanent. It would be for life. Uh, oftentimes, you didn't pick your partner. Uh, your parent. See, for, for in many cultures, marriage was considered to be such, such a huge decision that it could not be left to young people. To make the decision. Say, well, we've certainly advanced beyond that. Haven't we? Yes, we have. And look how well we're doing. Look how well we're doing. 
So it used to be that, uh, you know, Jacob the farmer down here, whose land was next to Daniel the farmer, you know, they'd be out over the fence one day talking, and hey, you know, I got this eight-year-old boy, and I got a six-year-old daughter. Hey, you know what? And they'd just, and they'd go ahead and just make a deal. My boy will marry your girl at the appointed time. And that's how it worked. That's how it worked. For, for generations. I, I, I remember talking to a guy whose um, uh, family came over here from Armenia after the uh, persecution by the Turks. And uh, he, re- he remembered going to his, uh, his grandfather's uh, farm in Central California. And he would go there in the summers often. And he could remember as a young boy seeing his uh, grandfather and grandmother at night after dinner. They would, uh, they would hold hands, their little arthritic hands. And they would take a walk slowly just around, you know. They, ha- they had a little path they would follow. And, and they were getting elderly. So they couldn't walk a long way, but they, the, the little gnarled arthritic hands would join, and they would walk together. And he was shocked years later to find out that, uh, number one, they had an arranged marriage, and they didn't like each other from day one. <laughs> they were complete opposites. They, they were both uh, angry. They were both resistant. They didn't want it but it was thrust upon them. And they had quite a tumultuous marriage in the early years. Plates were often thrown. <laughs> Voices were often raised to a fever pitch. It was, uh, it was just a war zone. But after about uh, the years, and, but see, he remembers them being married. Uh, he remembers you know, they, them, and they'd been married 50 years, you see. And what happened was they, they grew in their love. And divorce wasn't an option. Different day and age, isn't it? It used to be that we have something called no-fault divorce now. I remember Mary and I watching. And the reason I'm talking about this in just a minute, we're gonna, what we're going to talk about tonight is marriage and about being a husband. And how a husband is supposed to act. And believe me, this runs contrary to what our culture says. Uh, years ago, I remember Mary and I watching an old movie on TV. And the gist of the movie, it was probably made around 1948, 49, 50. And uh, it, it was a story of a guy that was a businessman. Um, a kind of a pillar of the community. Had three or four kids. You know, he, he was always wearing a suit. Always had a hat. Uh, he'd come home, his wife always was dressed to the nines with a string of pearls. You know how it was back then or how it was portrayed. Uh, they had twin beds, no double bed. I mean, this was a movie. You couldn't even hint at something else. Man, we've surely swung, haven't we? <laughs> if you guys are my age, you remember, I'll come back to the movie, but you remember at night, because TV wasn't on 24 hours a day. And there were only three channels. Um, and at night, they would sign off. And you'd have the jet, you'd have the national anthem, you'd have the flag waving, and then you'd have a jet, the, the Blue Angels flying over. 
And then at the end, before they signed off, they would have the seal of good broadcasting. Any of you guys remember that? And basically, it was a seal that came up, and this station and the management has agreed, you know, agrees with the seal of good morals and values, and then, you know, we don't show any program that violates that. <laughs> Haven't seen that one for a while. <laughs> now they're paid to violate it, you see. Well, going back to the movie, yeah, this guy is, you know, Joe Businessman, pillar of the community, he goes to church on Sunday, nice wife, kids. Uh, he hires a new secretary, and before long, he's emotionally involved with her. And, you know, they don't say it, but, you know, there's an affair going on. And suddenly, here's the deal. He goes home to his wife one night, and he says he wants a divorce because he doesn't love her anymore. He loves this woman. And his wife says, I'm not granting you a divorce. You know what the whole movie was about? The whole movie was about him trying to persuade his wife to give him a divorce because the laws were written. If a guy hit 40 or 45 and kind of went nuts, as guys sometimes do at midlife, you know, sometimes guys go a little crazy when they hit midlife because they realize half their life is over. They're shaving one morning and it hits them, half my life is over. And it is. And all those dreams and goals and aspirations I was going to achieve, I'm not going to make it. And you're not. Oh, and by the way, the guys who do make it, they're more depressed than you are. <laughs> you know? Oh, Peggy Lee, remember Peggy Lee? Great Christian hymn writer. You remember her? And the song she would write, is that all, or she would sing. Is that all there is? Is that all there is, my friends? Then let's keep dancing. See, a lot of guys get depressed because they don't hit their goals. The guys who really go down are the guys that hit them. And they're still empty. Hmm. Isn't that wild? So you're shaven and uh, it hits you the heck, your life is over. So sometimes guys go a little crazy. We call it midlife crisis. So if you trade in your pickup for a red Mazda Miata, and you can't even get in it, and you got to call AAA to get you out of it, they got to hoist you out of that. The jaws of life. Frisco Fire Department's got to get you out of that sucker. You can't even bend your knee out of that. Anyway, or if you go to a Costco and buy Rogaine by the barrel. You know, you might be in midlife. It happens to guys. This guy was kind of in midlife crisis, and he wants a divorce. That's what the whole movie is about, and his wife won't give it to him. Because the laws are written, they were written back then, that if you wanted a divorce, you couldn't get it unless your wife granted you, your spouse, and his wife wouldn't do it. And, you know, it's the whole tension, and they're all upset. And then what happens is he wakes up one day, and he realizes, what the heck am I doing? I'm going to throw all this away? And he comes to his senses, he ends the affair, asks his wife to forgive him, and that's how the movie ended. They don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> See, in the 60s, a lot of things happened in the 60s. And one of the things we did was that we got enlightened and we um, changed the divorce law. So now we have something called no-fault divorce. I remember a number of years ago, Mary calling me. And I could hear cell phones had just happened. And I could tell there was something wrong. She said, Steve, I've been in an accident. And when I heard that, I, I, two questions came to my mind. What was my first question? Are you okay? Are you hurt? I'm fine. What was my second question? Whose fault was it? And she said it was no one's fault. Metaphysically, the two cars just of their own 
They just willed to come together. I said, yeah, it makes sense. No, some crazy guy was going in and out of traffic on LBJ down by the gallery, and he swung over and sideswiped her. Okay, well, it's his fault. You can't stop anymore your spouse from going crazy and doing crazy things. You can't do it. And it can disrupt. It's easier to fire an employee. No. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. It's easier to divorce a spouse and end a marriage than it is to fire an employee. Am I not right about that? You know, I've been studying this stuff on what's happening in the culture, and I found a book this week in a used bookstore in New Hampshire online. First book I could, I've been able to find on feminization, that what, hap what happens when boys are primarily raised by women long term, and they're not around men. And this book was written in 1969 by a woman sociologist. I can't remember her name because I haven't read the book yet. I was just flipping through it. But she had also done studies on gangs in New York City. You know, we didn't used to have gangs. But there was, uh, I can remember seeing this in Life magazine uh, in somewhere in the 50s where you didn't have gangs. And then a movie came out called Blackboard Jungle. And it talked about the gang problem. And then the West Side Story musical, which is about the gangs. But uh, in Life magazine, which you young guys, it used to be a magazine called Life, and they just had pictures. And not a lot of text, but it was a lot of pictures, powerful pictures. And I remember seeing these, uh, this one kid after a gang fight. I never heard of gangs. You know, what, you know what gangs are all about? It's boys without fathers. That's what it's all about. Proverbs 1 deals with the gang issue. She talks about the fact in that book, this is 69, she talks about the fact that if you look at the public school system, she says it's very interesting because the men in the public school system are the administrators. They're the principals, they're the vice principals. The teachers are the women. And she was talking about elementary school, and I started thinking about elementary school. I never had a male teacher in elementary school. But I got into junior high school, and I can still remember, I, I can still remember Mr. Blackburn. And I can still remember Mr. Copeland. Because I really liked being around them, because they were men. And they were both shop teachers. And they both coached. And I really liked being around those guys. I really did. I liked them. I really liked them. And I never did well in school. I was always being sent to the office. I was. Because I had a lot of trouble. Let me tell you, I was innocent. <laughs> I was a good kid. I was in the office a lot. And, you know, a lot of it my own making. But um, I was thinking about those male teachers. It's funny, I, interesting. I can still remember their names. Mr. Denton. He's the PE teacher. And I remember I had a paper out for the L.A. Times on Saturday. I'd sell the, the Sunday Times on Saturday. I got a red wagon that said L.A. Times on it. 
And I'd go around, and I remember I was in a neighborhood next to ours, a subdivision. I went down there, and I knocked on the door, and Mr. Denton opened it up. And he was dressed the same way. He had on his gym shorts, his T-shirt. He had on his Converse All-Stars, and he was smoking a stogie, <laughs> which he usually didn't do at school. But he goes, hey, Steve, how you doing, Steve? I said, good. He goes, what you got there? I said, I'm Mr. Denton, I'm selling the LA Times. Y'all take one. You probably didn't even read it. I'm not even sure Mr. Denton could read. <laughs> but he knew it would mean a lot to me, and he bought it from me. I remember those guys. Just this week, I started, I had a lot of those guys in I don't know how many years. But I remember every one of them. Can I remember all my teachers and their names, the, the ladies? No. Well-meaning. Can't remember them. Remember the guys. Why? Because young boys want to be around men who get them and who understand them. You know what else I was thinking about? Mr. Blackburn, Mr. Copeland, Mr. Denton, I'm not sure any of them were believers. I know this, none of them were divorced. Isn't that interesting? Because see, back then you didn't divorce. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Act like men. And one of the things that men need to know how to act like one of, the, one of your roles that you will assume is that of being a husband. Most men will be married. Now, we have pointed out that as our culture gets further and further away from Scripture and, and you have the loss of stability in families and you have the loss of fathers who are there and who are stable and dependable and who, um, and, and who are married and who are committed and stay together with their wives... Um, what happens is you have young, uh, uh, listen, ideas have consequences. And when you start denying what God says about marriage and you do it for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, you're going to have some trouble on your hand and you're going to have some residual effects. So we have young men growing up who, uh, this, is, this is fascinating, the normal roles that are, that are associated with manhood, instead of embracing them, they are rejecting them or at least trying to postpone them. Not all young men, but many. So I'll give you the five markers again, from adolescence to manhood. And what we're seeing is we have young men attempting to prolong adolescence, put off manhood. What are the five markers of manhood? You finish your education, you get it done. Number two, you move out of the house. You get on your own. You don't live with mommy and daddy when you're 28. You, go, you get out on your own. Number three, you become financially independent. Number four, you get married. You don't live with... No, well, we're living together. What happened to marriage? And by the way, you, you got to say this. These women that live with guys... I don't get that. Have they not thought this through? Because if you're living with him and he's having sex with you, then why the heck would he marry you? I mean, somebody help me there. Okay. Oh, number five, you have kids. You have kids, you raise the kids. You educate them, you discipline them. That's manhood. Okay, we're losing this. So let's go to 1 Peter 3, 7. 
It's always good to get a breath of fresh air by going to the scriptures, isn't it? Hey, when all else fails, read the directions. Right? Just go back to what God says. 1 Peter 3, 7. Now, verses 1 through 6 are addressed to the wives. We're not going to deal with verses 1 through 6 because this is a men's study. So we're going to go to verse 7, which is addressed to the men. And then verse 8, after verses 1 through 6 deals with the wives, and verse 7 deals with the husbands, then in verse 8, he says, to sum up. To sum up what? What I've just said to wives and husbands. To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, uh, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil, insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, etc., etc. So you've got a recipe here for a good marriage. But it takes two people who are committed to these principles. Okay? It takes two people. What does he say to husbands? Now, I, I love verse 7, and I'm going to tell you why. He's going to say, let's, let's read it, and I'll come back to it. Peter says, you husbands likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I, I want to I show you something right off the top. I want you to notice how the verse concludes. He says, so that your, prayer may not, your prayers may not be hindered. I, I can't remember another passage of scripture where you see that line. In other words, what's happening here is that two responsibilities are given to husbands. Okay? I'm grateful God doesn't, doesn't give me a list of 28 things to do. Because I can't remember 28 things. I can remember two, but I can't remember 28. So he gives me, there's a job description here for a husband that... that there are two responsibilities that are given to me here, all right? But the interesting thing is, is that God says, through Peter, I want you to do these things. I want you to pay attention to these things. These are important to me. Because if you don't pay attention to them, your prayers are going to be hindered. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm not going to pray? No, it means you might pray, but I'm not going to respond. Because it's my will that you work on these two items. This is important to me. Joel Aldrich, Joel Aldrich used to say that all of God's people are equally strategic. But not all of God's people, man, am I screwing up tonight or what? Yes, I am. I just caught myself. That's the second time. It's the third time today I've said the exact reverse of what I wanted to say. So, am I angry? Yes. <laughs> Am I going to see a specialist in the morning? No. No, I'm going to keep living in denial. Joe Aldrich would say this. Joe would say this. All of God's people are equally precious, but not all of God's people are equally strategic. I think that's true. I think men are strategic. I think in the home... Now, you, listen, there's a reason God said male and female, husband and wife, because they both play important roles. Uh, men, I want you to think for a minute. I want, to, I want you to think, go back to when you were 10 years old. Where'd you live? You know, don't you? You got it. Okay. Where'd you go to school? Who were your buddies? Just kind of remember your life a little bit at 10. Okay, now... Was your dad there? 
uh, or had he left? Was he gone? Was he absent? Or was he physically there but emotionally distant? Okay, just, get, just go back to when you were 10. What I want to say to you is, is that um, every home has an atmosphere. And fathers set the atmosphere, either by their presence or by their absence. We don't, as guys, I don't think we think a lot about atmosphere. Restaurants think a lot about atmosphere. You know what I'm talking about? On a real special occasion, you take your wife to a, you want to take her somewhere that has ambiance. I looked that word up. It means expensive. <laughs> See, a guy, I mean, we, I mean, really, we don't care about atmosphere. We want to eat. But on a special occasion, a wedding anniversary or something, you want to take your wife somewhere that's got atmosphere. It's very, it's very nice. It's very nice. It's very expensive. I don't know if it's still there, but there used to be a place down off Northwest Highway and Sherry Lane in that little complex there called Vice Versa. It was a dive. I mean, uh, it, I mean, it was a dive. Uh, these old uh, booths, Nagahide, ripped, the white stuffing coming out of it, chipped formica with uh, fungus in there. I, I mean, it, it just, this place was old. I mean, it was old. But I will tell you this. If you weren't there by 1115, you were standing in line out the door down the sidewalk. And you weren't there because of the ambiance. But they could dish out home cooking and vice versa. And that was, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, they, it, you just lined up. And they'd run them through there like cattle. And it was good. It was good. Um, and it was mostly guys, because guys just, they don't care about the formica or the no f fresh cut flowers, you know. They hadn't swept it out from the day before. But man, it was good. Okay. In the home, the home in which you were raised, go back to when you were 10 years old, what was the atmosphere of your home? The atmosphere of your home was either constructive or destructive. And, and, and what, I, what I mean by that is, in your home at the age of 10 years old, nothing you can do about the home in which you were born into. But when you were 10 years old, the, there was an atmosphere in your home. In your home, people were either built up or people were torn down. It was either constructive or destructive. Who, who made that call? Your dad did. Say, so well, he wasn't there. Well, then that hurt you, didn't it? Then it was destructive that your dad wasn't there. Oh, no, well, no, my dad was there. My dad was a godly man. And, well, man, you're blessed. It was a constructive home. You see? Was your dad hypercritical? Well, then you're still dealing with wounds. Or was your dad an encourager? You see? Did your dad say to you, you'll never be anything, you'll never amount to anything? I'm so disappointed in you. What if then you're still you're still hearing that in your head, aren't you? Yeah, you are. Uh, there's nothing you can do about how you were raised, but then you become a husband and father, and there's a whole heck of a lot you can do about how you raise your kids. Because see, if you're a husband, if you're uh, 
a father, if you're a grandfather, you set the atmosphere now. Now you get a shot at it. And you're not condemned to do what was done in your home if it was negative. This is all about setting an atmosphere because men are strategic. Two things are given to husbands. Okay? How many of you guys are married? Let me see your hands. Okay, good. Some of you guys who aren't married right now, you don't know where you'll be in a year or two. I'm looking around and I can see a couple guys that a year ago, a year and a half ago, weren't married. They're married now. You never know what's going to happen. See, this doesn't apply to me. Well, it may not right now, but you don't know where you'll be next year. Okay? The Lord might bring along some woman who's blind and she'll be interested in you. (laughs) Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. They're all blind to be interested in us, aren't they? Look at this. You husbands likewise, live with your wives. Watch this. Here's the first thing. Live with your wives in an understanding way. That's my first job. Live with her in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman. And then here's number two. And grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, uh, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that tells me there are two things God wants me to work on. I find it interesting that the guy who was used by God to pin these words was Peter. By the way, all of the apostles were married, except Paul. Is it 1 Corinthians 10? I don't know. Let's see. I'm sure hoping it is, or I'm going to look foolish. Uh, I, I, I don't see it in 10. It's on the right-hand side of the page, somewhere in Corinthians on the upper side. Um, Paul says, do we not have the right to, be- to, to bring with us believing wives as do the rest of the apostles? I don't remember where it is, but it's in there. All the apostles were married except Paul. Uh, there's this tradition in Roman Catholicism that spiritual leaders aren't married. That's the tradition of men. It's not of God. And when you've got men leading the church who aren't married, you're going to have all kinds of problems. Because men, God wants men to be married and to have children. Most men. There's a gift of celibacy, but most men don't have it. Because if most men did have it, you wouldn't have a human race. So Peter was married. The other apostles were married. I'll look that verse up later and get it to you. What is it? 9-5. I was close. I was warm. 9-5. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're right. Thanks. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord in Cephas, who is Peter? Okay? All right. Peter was married. Now stop and think about this for a minute. God uses Peter to talk about marriage. And the first thing Peter says is, you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. By the way, weaker vessel is a reference to, to physical weakness. You can be the same height as your wife, the same weight as your wife, you're stronger than your wife, because God has created men with 40% more muscle mass than women have. Okay? Unless you're married to a Russian woman shot putter named Olga. <laughs> who has daily steroid injections, same height as your wife, same weight, you're stronger. Why? You're a male. More muscle mass. Okay? Uh, Women go through a cycle every month that we don't go through. And let's just stop right now and thank the Lord that we do not go through that. (laughs) But they go through it. 
And when they go through that, there are all kinds of swings that we don't have to deal with. So what does a wife need in something like that? For you to write her, to get on her? No, no, well, it, it, sometimes they get, well, man, what the heck happened? Well, just stand back and think about it. You know, if you went through that, you might get a little quirky too. You know, what does a wife need there? She needs a guy who understands. She needs a mature guy. You see? God used Peter to talk about marriage. I think that's really interesting because I don't think Peter, you, you think this through with me. I don't think Peter was any prize to live with as a husband when he first got married. Do you? You think about what you know about Peter. Peter had foot and mouth disease. Did he not? He was always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. He was like, Lord, I'll never deny you. Well, actually, you will. Yeah, you will, Peter. They come to get Jesus in the garden. Whips off, takes off his sword, cuts off that sucker's ear. And, and you know what I realized one day? I don't think he was aiming for the guy's ear. He just hadn't been to spring training that year. He, you know, Jesus heals the guy's ear. But then, later on, they got Jesus. They take Jesus in. Some little girl comes up to Peter and says, oh, you were with him. I wasn't with him. Peter was very impulsive. You never knew where the sucker was going to come down. You see? That's why we all identify with Peter. I mean, Peter was just a guy. And he didn't get it right all the time. He got it wrong a lot of the times. That's, that's why we identify with Peter. So guys who have foot and mouth disease, guys who are impulsive, guys who have a temper that'll whip out a sword and take a sucker's ear off, they tend not to be the greatest husbands in the world. Do they? They tend not to live with their wives in an understanding way. They tend to live with their wives in a misunderstanding way, don't they? As we all do. If this verse said, you husbands likewise, live with your wife in a misunderstanding way, I got it wired. <laughs> oh, and so do you. But it says, see, here's what's interesting to me about Peter. Uh, I think Peter, I don't think, Peter wrote this towards the end of his life. You know what I think happened to Peter? I think Peter grew up in Christ instead of growing old in Christ. There's a tendency to just grow old in Christ. Oh, I've known the Lord since 33. Oh, good. So you've been a Christian a long time. That doesn't mean you're growing up. It just means you're growing old. See, you only grow up in Christ if you have a teachable spirit. You're only growing up in Christ if you're listening to what the Lord's saying to you and you're being stretched and you're trying to follow the Lord and not just get set in your own, oh, just set in my ways. Well, knock it off and get teachable. Okay? I remember my dad, forgive me because I, I tell stories and you've heard them before as you've been in here. My dad is like me. My dad likes quiet. He likes to read. He, he liked to read. He, and he started getting all these grandkids. And they all wanted to be with him. And they all lived within 10 minutes of him. And quite frankly, he could only take so much. And then it would get to him. And I remember one time my John said to me, my son John, he goes, you know, Dad, I don't think Papa likes me. I said, you don't, huh? He goes, and he gets, hey, I, I know my dad. I knew what was going on. And so I talked to my dad about it. I said, Dad, I got to tell you something. 
These kids are starting to think you don't like them because you're getting too irritable. And it really, he said, really? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, I love those kids. And I said, I, Dad, I know you do. Sure you do. And they know you love them too. But Dad, I'm just pointing it out because they're sensing. He said, okay. He said, I'll work on it. And you know what? He did. And at his funeral, my son John got up. This is kind of interesting. John said, because now John was 30, and he must have said that to me when he was 12 or 13. And he got up at the funeral, and he said, you know, I remember when I thought at, at a time, my papa didn't like me because he got irritable with me. And all the cousins laughed. And I laughed along with my brother, because he used to get irritable with us, you see. That was just my dad. I get irritable. I mean, I'm ticked off right now. <laughs> I'm ticked off most of the time, you know. Anyway. Anyway, but he said, you know what? As I saw my papa get older, he got kinder. Uh, that's pretty good. My dad worked on that. He didn't get it all the way right, but he worked. He, he purposely worked on being less irritable as he got older. And I, had, I, had, and I saw him working on it, and I, 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 would, I told him, I said, Dad, you know what? Thanks for doing that. Did he always get it right? No, but he was working on it. He was growing up in Christ. He didn't have it on cruise control. You husbands likewise, live your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman. Why is it so hard to live with our wives in an understanding way. It's because they're women. <laughs> women get women. Men get men. Right? right? Guys understand guys. Women understand women. But men and women are different because God made them to be different. We're wired differently. You could prove this a thousand different ways. A guy named Willard Harley uh, wrote a book called His Needs, Her Needs, Christian um, counselor. Uh, there's a lot of books on the differences between men and women. As far as I can remember, that's, his is the first one I ever read. And after 30 years of marriage uh, counseling, he wrote this book and he said, you know, so many of the issues is that men and women are different and they have different needs. And Harley came up with this list. He said, it's not out of the Bible, it's just something from observation. I'm going to give you just a couple of examples. Harley said the top need for a man is sexual fulfillment. I think that's true. Because guys have a sexual drive. You know what I'm talking about? Amen. <laughs> guys have a sexual drive. They do. It's just how God made us. Right? And when I, sexual drive, when I say sexual drive, I mean we have a sexual <laughs> drive. We're going to take that hill. Don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about. Do, are women, do women have that kind of sexual drive? No. No, in fact, he's got this list. I don't, remember, I don't remember everything on the list. Five for men, five for women. I'll tell you this, sexual drive is not on the list for women. It's not in the top five. I don't even think it's in the top ten. I think I'll stop there, but it's not on there. Okay, why? They're different. But you know what's interesting? You know what Harley says top need for men is? It's sexual fulfillment. It's a big deal to guys. You know what he says top need for a woman is? Affection. 
Affection? <laughs> That's what you do with a golden retriever, man. I mean, affection. <laughs> Guys don't think like that. Do you think like that? You know, you're having a rough week. You know, it's Thursday. You can't wait for the weekend. You're driving down, you know, the tollway. You're in gridlock. You're, you know, your air conditioning won't work. You're trying to get home. You just want to get home. You're thinking, I just need to get home. I just need to get home so Mary can hold me. <laughs> I don't think that way. Do you? No. Why not? Because that's not a need in my life. I'm not saying that I don't need some, but I mean it's not a glaring need in my life. For guys, it's sexual fulfillment. For a wife, it's affection. I remember one of the things that kind of startled me when I, you know, you get married and there's some adjustments. And the thing that got, I didn't have any sisters. Mary would say to me, she would say, Steve, would you just hold me? Yeah, I'll hold you. Yeah, I, I got a minute. I didn't have a cell phone, but I, if I could, I'd be checking the email. I mean, that's not a big deal to me. Would you just hold me? I didn't get the holding thing. Would you just... I used to get penalized for holding. But that's a big deal to her. It's not a big deal to me. You see? And I'll tell you what. I'm, that's, a, that's something I really got to work on, and I don't do a real good job. Because I just tend not to be real affectionate. But it's a need, and I need to be aware of it, you see. So, sexual fulfillment, affection. He says the second need for a guy is recreational companionship. Guys like to do stuff together. We like to fish together. We like to go to games together. We like to kill small animals together. We like to do stuff together. (laughs) Beer commercials know this. Remember the slew of beer commercials they used to have? Guys would be out, you know, they're fly fishing in the Snake River in Idaho, you know, and they're having a great time, and then at night there's a campfire, and they're sitting, and you know, they're sloshing back the beers, and one guy says to another, hey guys, yeah, yeah, it doesn't get any better than this. The guy vomits, he falls in his own vomit. (laughs) See, it's recreational companionship. Is that big, uh, well, you know what Harley says in the second need for a woman is? Catch this, conversation. Conversation is a need. I go out on the weekends and speak. Here's, here's what happens. I come home. I walk in the door. Mary says, how did it go? I say, fine. And that's it. That's pretty much it. In fact, on Sunday, I called her because I was up in the mountains of California. I couldn't get cell service. So I actually drove 10 miles Saturday afternoon to get a signal. And I pulled over as soon as I saw the bars, and I called her. And we were just talking, and I said, hey, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and what time do you get home tomorrow night? I said, I get in about 8. She said, I'll tell you what, I'll tape the Rangers game. I said, okay. And so I came in. She said, how'd it go? Fine. She had dinner. And we just sat there, and I never said a word because I was out of words. I w- I'd been talking all weekend. And she knows me. She gets it. You see? Takes me, and about 24 hours later, I start coming too. And I can talk. Hey, let me tell you what happened this weekend. That used to be a problem for us because she'd want to talk as soon as I walked in the door. Because see that? But you, you, you're learning. You, you, is this making any sense? Amen. But see, it takes time to figure this stuff out. You don't get this in two weeks. 
You don't read a book and figure this stuff out. Live with her in an understanding way. I, I guess here's the question, guys. Nobody gets this stuff right. We're, we're all fallen people. I guess the question would be to put that I sh- that, to ask my wife, do you feel more understood by your husband than you did five years ago? And if the answer is no, I've got some work to do. Because my Christianity is to be lived out in my home, isn't it? He says, grant her honor. As a, here's the second thing. Grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Grant her honor. See, that speaks to me of atmosphere. An atmosphere of honor. Uh, the idea there, in the athletic competitions of Peter's day, they had the Colosseum. They would take the top three finishers. They'd put them on three pedestals and grant them honor. Gosh, we still do that today, don't we? See, there's the idea. You grant her honor. You grant her honor. When my kids were small, when we, you know, they were in, at home, every once in a while we'd run the dinner table. I didn't do it every night. Every once in a while I'd do it. It was the one creative thing I did. But every once in a while I'd say, uh, hey, Josh, um, tell me what mom did for you today. He said, okay, Dad, we're going to honor mom, right? I said, that's what we're going to do. I said, how's that dinner? He said, it's really good. I said, who cooked that dinner for you? His mom did. What else did mom? Give me three other things mom did for you today. I said, did you wash your clothes? Those clothes you wore to school, were they clean? Yeah, did you wash those? No, mom did. I said, okay. Not every mom does that. Your mom did it. She's got a lot of things she could do, but she did that for you. Give me two other things mom did. I was just trying to honor her a little bit. You see? That's my job. I'll tell you something else. You honor a woman when you respect her. You respect her by your speech. You respect her by your attitude. You you should have very clearly marked boundaries that you will never pass in your life as to what you will say or not say to her. You see? She should be respected. She should be honored. You're not running the Taliban at your house. It's not Burkaville. Okay? She is a woman. She's made in the image of God as you are. And kids need to see that and they need to observe it. My dad did not put up with disrespect to my mother. He wouldn't put up with it. He, that he would not permit it. He would not allow it. I'm grateful. You know, guys, you know what's interesting to me? Uh, and I want to say this. we got a lot of guys in here. Some of you guys have very... Some of you guys uh, I have talked with, and uh, there are guys here sitting here who were married that would still like to be married, but your wife has left, and you couldn't stop her. And that's caused a tremendous amount of pain because you were willing to work on the relationship, and she wasn't. I can't imagine that pain. I haven't had to go through that. Some of you guys are married, but you're married to very difficult women. There are difficult women. I don't speak at many women's conferences. 
I've never understood that. <laughs> I've spoken at two women's conferences about 20 years apart. It took that long for them to forget. <laughs> I remember the second one I spoke at, they, I was doing a men's deal and then a Sunday deal, and they, I was flying out Monday afternoon. They said, hey, we got a women's thing. Would you speak to the women at the luncheon on Monday? And, uh, and I couldn't say no because they knew when my flight was, and I said, sure. So I had Mary with me, and I had my mother with me. And so my mom and, my, uh, and Mary went with me. And I remember, and I did a talk, and these women are there, and they got their nice little, you know, it's a women's thing, you know. And uh, they're all, it's got, you know, the little table decorations and all that, you know, all that stuff. And everyone's very, very nice. And so they asked me to speak. And I'm talking to him, and I said, you know, let me finish this up. Let me give you two words of advice. Let me, can I say to you what I hear from husbands? Can I be honest with you? And, then, of course, what are they going to say? No? And they'll, oh, oh yeah, please. So I, because I, I was flying out of town. I wouldn't worry. I was going to leave. <laughs> I said, can I tell you the two things that I hear from husbands? Here's the first thing. Don't be the Holy Spirit in their lives. I know you want him to do this and this and be a spiritual this and this. But don't try to be the Holy Spirit. Don't even try to be the junior Holy Spirit. Why don't you commit him to the Holy Spirit? A nagging woman is like a dripping faucet. And we'll remember you in prayer, sir. <laughs> the Bible has a lot to say about contentious women and nagging women. And some of you guys are married to gals like that. Some of you guys are married to gals who have been deeply hurt, deeply wounded. I have a friend, a dear friend. Some of you would know this guy. I uh, have the utmost admiration and respect for him. He's been married a long, long time. Uh, his wife is a very wounded woman. When she was a little girl, uh, she never knew when her father was going to come into the room with bad things in mind. And he was a pastor. Now, do you think, would you not expect that she would have trouble trusting men? Sure, and she does. This guy is one of the best men I've ever met. He really is. He said to me one time, the best I can ever get to is zero. On a plus 10 to a positive 10, he said, I've never, I've never gotten past zero. I'm usually a minus 4, minus 6. On my best day, I'm at zero. I've never been a positive. So you know what he did? He divorced her. Actually, he didn't. He stayed the course. His kids are growing up. They're pretty solid. You know what I attribute that to? He followed Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I remember him sharing a passage with me from C.S. Lewis, where C.S. Lewis, on that passage, talked about men getting crucified, not only for their wives, but sometimes by their wives. 
who are so wounded they don't even realize they're doing it. She didn't leave, and he didn't leave, but he's taken some shots. And uh, made the best of it. We've got some kids that are doing pretty well. Because you see, he set the atmosphere. The bitterness and anger didn't spill out on them. He had to deal with some stuff. Some of you guys are there. Some of you guys, now let's flip it. Some of you guys are really hard to live with. Some of you guys are uh, hell to live with, quite frankly. Now, I don't know who you are. I'd like you to stand. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's true. It's true. This many guys, somebody in here is a real hard guy at home. Uh, the atmosphere in your home is not pleasant. Your kids don't want to be near you. Your kids don't want to be around you. Why is that? Well, it's, don't start pointing fingers. You're the leader. I've run into too many guys over the years. Too many guys, big time spiritual leaders, but in their own homes in private, they were hell to live with. See, it cuts both ways. There's really nothing we can do about anybody else, but there's a whole lot we can do about ourselves. Is there not? We're all flawed. We're all broken people. I think the question is, as I look at this passage, as I look at this passage, see, I, I will say this. It's very easy to teach this stuff. It's very easy to teach it. I keep coming back so that your prayers will not be hindered. You know, I've hurt my wife. I've disappointed my wife. Um, I've tried to learn from it and not do it. Um, God, I mean, uh, and, and when I look at this passage, you know what? I want God to not have to discipline me. I want God to say, I want to bless him. I'm just being honest with you. When you see a kid do the right thing out, out of love, don't you want to honor that kid? Don't you want to bless that kid? Sure. But when a kid is obstinate and difficult and strong-willed, what do you got to do? Well, here we go again. You don't want to do it. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro about the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully his, that he may strongly support them. As I walk out of here after teaching this, Coming over here and going home, I'm taking inventory. Where is it I need to improve as a husband? Have I been taking my wife for granted? Because we've been married for 35 years, and it's really easy to do that, isn't it? Have I, how, have I, how am I doing on the honor thing? How am I doing on the understanding thing? How are you doing? If we don't answer those questions... Ask those questions and answer them and ask God to give us grace to do something about it on the way home. This time here tonight has been utterly wasted. Let's not waste it. Our Father, we thank you that you are a gracious Father. I pray for every guy in here. There are guys in here that are married that wish they weren't. 
because they're in such difficult straits right now and it's been going on a while and they don't see a lot of hope for it to change. There are other guys in here that were married who aren't, who wish they still were. Um, we're all in different places, Lord, but where we are, here, here's what we can do with wherever we are. We want to be your guys and we want to be your men. Uh, thank you that there's such tremendous forgiveness because we have all been at fault, all of us. Uh, every marriage has irreconcilable differences because we're all messed up. But Father, we want to be growing up, not just growing old. Give us teachable spirits. If you point something out to us on the way home or when we get up in the morning, may we handle it. May we deal with it. Take the steps that would be appropriate. You're such a great father. We have such unmerited grace and favor in our lives. Help us to grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.